This episode of the Best Seats Podcast is brought to you by, well, you. To learn how you can support the show, go to thebestseats.com slash Patreon. Once there, you'll learn how you can get early access to shows, ad-free listening, the ability to submit questions, comments, concerns, and more. Once again, that's thebestseats.com slash Patreon. But enough of that. On to the show. What's up, everybody? Hello, and welcome to the first ever episode 49 of the Best Seats Podcast, the only podcast bringing you interviews with some of the most talented people in and around the Southern California hospitality community each and every episode. That's right, where the show is recorded here in Orange County, the rest of Southern California, and beyond each and every episode. Thank you so much to my friend, Ali Coyle, who provides music for the show. You can find more of her work at AliCoyleMusic.com. As always, I'm your host, Croft McCarthy, founder of The Best Seats. You can find me on Instagram and social media at The Best Seats at a C-E-A-T-S. And as a reminder, if you enjoy the show, please be sure to leave a rating and or a review wherever you're listening to it on free feeds. It helps other folks discover it as well. And go to thebestseats.com for more content just like this. Episode 49 is a really fun one. Obviously, we are one away from episode 50, which, you know, is obviously kind of a pretty big deal. Uh, if you've been listening from the beginning, thank you. If this is your first episode, thank you. Thank you as always to everybody who supports over on patreon.com slash the best seats who makes this possible. Thank you to our advertising partners, hirelilo.com and heirloompotage.com who are supporting this episode. I am so excited to sit down with my friend Niaz Pirani of Knife and Spork PR. We recorded this episode literally one year to the day since the last time that we did an episode. He was I want to say the fifth or sixth guest that I had on the show right when this thing was in its infancy. Uh, Knife and Sport PR has been such a big supporter of me. Niaz is such a good person. A lot of his clients have been on the podcast uh, for obvious transparency reasons. He helped me get guests on early on. But he's somebody that when I talked to a year ago, right when this was all breaking down, it was very somber. It was uncertain. We didn't know what the future looked like. And now a year later, that light is at the end of the tunnel. And sitting down with him today is very special. Number one, because he's been a supporter of me and what I'm trying to do from the beginning, and I'm eternally grateful to him. But number two, he's seen his clients succeed. He's seen people live and grow. A lot of them, you've heard their stories, their trials and tribulations on this very show. But to be where they are now is very special. So to sit down with him today is a fantastic thing. I hope you enjoy it. We're going to talk about a bunch of different topics. More on that because it is time to jump right into it. I don't want to waste any more of your time. You got a great episode ahead of you, so let's jump into it. Episode 49 of the Best Seats Podcast with my friend, Knife and Sport PR's own, Niaz Pirani. Enjoy. Niaz, thank you so much for sitting down, brother. Um, this is fun. This is going to be, well, long story short, this is episode 49 of the Best Seats Podcast. We're recording this on April 21st. A year to the day since I last interviewed you, you were the fifth episode ever when I was getting this podcast off the ground, middle of the pandemic, and I didn't even realize until I sat down today that it's been a year to the day. If people have not gone all the way back and listened to that very kind of one of those infancy episodes of the podcast, which it's fine because they were a little rough and looking back on them now, they're a little tough. Um, would you mind reintroducing yourself, talking about what it is you do and how you got to where you are? 
got the Jay-Z line in my head. Allow me to reintroduce myself. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you're the first repeat guest, so yeah. <laughs> oh, awesome. Uh, yeah, my name is Niaz Parani. I'm the owner of Knife and Spork Public Relations, a social media targeted ad-focused content creation agency, a former OC Register and OC Weekly food writer and music writer and all-around music lover and fun guy. So a year to the day since you and I last talked, and I'm forever grateful, you and those kind of first handful of guests that gave their time to kind of let me get this podcast off the ground and fix all those kind of bumps in the roads and those early episodes when I was psychotic enough to try to make it live recordings and phoning people in and all those other things. Now that we're a year past everything else, we got to get the honest question out of the way first. How are things? How are you doing? How is it since last we talked? Because your your episode was right in the middle of the shitstorm. Dude, it was like... A week or two after the shutdown, I think. Give or take. It was, what, April? So we were about three weeks past the main shutdown, give or take, when we recorded last. I think we had just done, like, that second OC Smoke Kitchen. We did the first one at Craft House that you helped facilitate and put together, and then we did the second one, and then we recorded, like, right after that. Where do things stand for you and your clients now? Uh, I've been waiting to say this to you, Crawford. We pivoted. <laughs> <laughs> That's the end of the episode. Cool. Uh, and we're done. Uh, you know, it's trippy that you say that a year has, has passed because like so much has happened in a year that I've seen, we, you know, the worst of it. And then you thought we were going to get back to it and then everything shut down again. And uh, finally, it seems like we're back. And... It also seems like people are really excited to be out there at restaurants, you know, um, especially in Orange County. And I'm just really thankful that we've gotten to this point. The hardest thing watching all of the restaurants that I worked with going through it at that time, like I, I, I think back to a year ago and we had no idea what we were in for. And we thought the worst had already happened, you know. And I think that through this year, what I've come to respect the most from all of the people that I work with is their like desire to be versatile, ability to, I don't want to say pivot, but it, I mean, really, that is what it was. Yeah, it's the yeah. default word you have to use. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we, we went from being full functioning restaurants to take out cocktails and, you know, like Craft House, they, they were doing a new menu every day that was a celebration of the world's takeout. Like people got really creative. Um, remember when people were doing takeout grocery kits and things like yeah. that part of the pandemic, you know? Um, and then just to get back and see the evolution of outdoor dining. Um, the fact that hopefully all these spaces are going to be preserved and that we've kind of hopefully brought a different type of dining culture to America that we didn't really have before. Yeah, the alfresco thing is interesting. It's the number one thing that most of these most recent episodes for the people that have been listening consistently have heard is everybody's kind of answer for what they want to stick around as outdoor dining and to go cocktails. Um, you know, depending on when people are listening to this episode, the most recent episode that I did right before this one, um, we were talking about. You know, I, I had a friend of mine who's a liquor license consultant on talking about when those things may go away. There's obviously a lot of uncertainties. Again, depending on whenever anybody hears this episode. 
those things could still be around. They could not. The outdoor spaces could be around. It all kind of depends. I do want to be kind of candid out front because obviously I value transparency. It should be noted that some of your clients are people that have been on the episode before. You mentioned Craft House. Obviously, I just had Chef Blake Melgren on. Um, I've had Chef Amy LeBron when she was still at Lido Bottle Works on. So some of these people have been on the show that you represent. But would you go through kind of your roster because you have a really diversified PR portfolio. And I'm always curious about, I think there's a, and we're going to talk about this a little bit later on, but there are some things with PR and restaurants, I think the value of it, but it's not just overseeing, Hey, I specialize in steakhouses. I specialize in this. Who are basically, who's your client roster? Yeah, um, for sure. Can I, one thing real quick, to, if they take away to go cocktails, like that needs to stay. How do you go backward from that? It's not like it's not possible now. You know what I mean? Anyways, uh, it's just such a help for restaurants. And I think restaurants need all the help they can get. And that's one of the biggest ones. Anyways, back to your question. Um, The restaurants I work with, I work with Agaves, uh, Tequila and Kitchen out in Long Beach, downtown Long Beach. Uh, Blake Melgren, a craft house in Dana Point, uh, which was the first restaurant. That's where I met you when you wrote about them. Yep. Um, I work with 11 College Avenue, which is actually my cousin's restaurant in Los Gatos, California, up in the Bay Area. Um, I work with Fermentation Farm, which is uh, Chef Amy LeBrun, formerly of Lido Bottle Works. She recently went there and brought me with her. Um, that's a That place is a science lab. It's incredible. Uh, I can't wait to bring you. Uh, Lido Bottle Works in Lido Marina Village, like one of the original Lido Marina restaurants. Uh, I was there with them like when it was just studs and walls and empty and now to see what's happened there and the evolution is amazing to me uh i work with meetup barbecue in placentia california my boy luis uh flores he is the former owner not the former he owns still the viking truck um sausage food truck and also meetup barbecue uh I have Omakase by Gino, which uh, I know is one of your favorite spots just because Gino's awesome. I do. I do go OMG for OMG. Big <laughs> uh, fan of that one. Gino is running a 10-seat Omakase in downtown Santa Ana that is just like unbelievable. The fish comes in the, the day of, and it was in the water in Japan the day before. Uh, I have Palenque by Mezcal, which is out in downtown Riverside. Um, the owner, Miguel, actually met my wife at the bank. My wife works at the bank and ended up talking to him. But when I ended up working with them, their executive chef is Roland Rubalcava, who formerly worked at Taco Maria was the opening chef at Playa Mesa. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's somebody I've always wanted to work with. So serendipity, you know, um, I have the peninsula lounge in uh, Newport Harbor, which is like the craziest place. They have a yacht that you can rent. Um, it's the, Executive chef is the former sous chef at uh, the former chef de cuisine at craft house, uh, Matt Sirjani. And then I do the Facebook side for all of Philly's best franchise locations, uh, which is the Philly cheesesteak spot. Um, I love them. Uh, I do sunny Cal farms, which supplies all of the fruit to like a lot of my clients actually. And is just like the tastiest fruit in orange County. Um, and then I have the Santa Clara location of the yellow chili, which is like a chef Sanjeev Kapoor is like globally known as India's Wolfgang puck. And, uh, he has franchise restaurants all over the world. And the Santa Clara one is the one I work with. That's not a small list. And geographically, it's not a small list either. Yeah, yeah. I think a lot of people, 
first of all, I don't think a lot of regular kind of diners, everyday people who are just stopping in for dinner or lunch see the PR side of things. Obviously, chefs and people like that who do work with PR see it. Your workday is insane. Creating content, publishing content, managing content, managing you know, customer forward-facing things. What does your day-to-day -day look like these days having to balance all of that on a day-to-day -day basis where everybody is moving you know, a mile a minute, especially, I mean, at the time that we're recording this, everybody's short-staffed, everybody's reopening, everybody's trying to prep for, you know, enjoy the springtime weather, outdoor weather, capitalize, get ready for summer. This is a wild time. The light is at the end of the tunnel for the pandemic. Most people are either getting vaccinated or if they're choosing not to, they're at least kind of getting into that herd immunity type of state of things, depending on where you fall with CDC guidelines and people's understanding of the virus. But that aside, the light's at the end of the tunnel for this. Yeah. What does your day-to-day -day look like? So, um, and it's been like this since I started, this is my sixth year. Um, I wake up between four and five or sometimes six if it's late. And, um, I'm usually working right about the time I wake up, um, trying to get the biggest tasks out of the way. And then my goal is by like mid morning to get my posts started, uh, and content curated. The thing is I've tried before to get all of the posts done ahead of time. And it just doesn't work for me because it's so much content at once. Um, so I actually have gotten just really good at knowing what I need to do, pulling content, um, creating videos, pretty much everything you see. If I like, if you follow my clients and you see something go up pretty much, I've done it that day or maybe the day before. And, um, that includes editing all the videos. I do most 99% of everything I do is in the phone. I don't know how to use my computer for most things except photo editing. And I'm trying to learn premiere. Um, so I, I think like, I'm really fortunate in the fact that I have this tool, I can run my business from it, you know, and then depending on when my posts are done, I, I, if I have meetings out there in the afternoon and then when I come home, I wrap up. So my days for work are like five between 5 and 6 a.m. I start, and I'm done between 8 and 9 p.m. sometimes. And I mean, that's that's a lot of work, man. Yeah. That's a lot of work. And, and I know we always talk about long into, like it, hours in this industry, but generally we're talking about, you know, those setups of, you know, the prep cook who's in there 12 hours. You know, maybe someone's pulling a double, things like that. I mean, that's a lot of work you're putting into it, trying to make a living while doing this. One of the things that I wanted to ask you, and you know, unfortunately, I had recorded podcasts before with other um, PR professionals in the area. Um, I sat down with Mona Shaw, Moxie PR. That episode had to get canceled because we basically talked about what things were like during the shutdown. And then I think literally the day I was editing it, it was going to publish. Everything opened back up, so <sighs> it made the entire recording irrelevant, unfortunately. But you're putting in all this work. People are talking left, right, and center about how they can't find people to work. They can't hire. There's not enough staff out there. People don't have budgets because they just got their ass kicked for a year. What's your elevator pitch on the value of PR? Because I think it's a very important aspect. I think that certain restaurants absolutely need it. Um, I don't know if every, you know, mom and pop place does, and they certainly can't afford them, but the value of PR is incredible. And you bring a lot of value to your clients. You know, for those people that are kind of emerging from the other side of this thing, they're worrying about trying to find staff what's your kind of pitch for people that are worrying about trying to find PR or why they should? Well, look, this is what I tell everybody. And this is what I tell everybody that I have a meeting with. Um, the motto of knife and spork public relations when I started it was every restaurant has a story to tell. And I think that comes from my background in journalism. I'm a storyteller and I focus more on social media and content creation than I do on PR. And the reason for me is because we have the tools to create 
our own media channels. We have the tools to create our own media channels now with social media, with video and Facebook and taking good photos and just talking to our own audiences. And I think that, um, I understand that for a lot of restaurant owners, they're busy owning and running a restaurant, right? And so that's why for someone, it's important to have someone like me who can come in. When I tell people, I say, when you basically, when you hire me, it's like you're hiring a reporter for your restaurant. I'm going to see things that you don't. I'm going to find the details that you have thought about, but don't know how to communicate with other people. And I'm going to make things fun. Like, you know, I, the, the, my two favorite evolutions are Blake at craft house and Lewis at meetup barbecue Two people who like are not shy people, but would never put themselves out there in the way that they are on social media, unless I force them to. And now they're both like such naturals at it. And they're so good at it that people come in and they're like, Oh, I watch you on social on Facebook. And it's like, I want, that's exactly what I want. I want all of my clients and I want the people who are seeing my content to feel like they're watching craft house TV or Lido bottle works television or that they know the people that they're seeing on those feeds before they come in like cheers, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think that's the importance of it. If you don't tell your own story, you're allowing other people to tell it or it's never going to get told at all. Yeah. And you're hoping other people are telling it at least this way you can manage it. Yeah. You know, and now uh, for me personally, I've focused so much in the, in the six years that I've done this on how do I take great photo? How do I build video? I'm not a great video videographer, but I can make compelling video and I just keep getting better that what I would inspire anybody listening to this to pick what you like to do and just focus on it and don't feel the pressure of being good. Feel the pressure of being consistent. There were a lot of technological evolutions, regardless of all the shutdowns and everything else last year that emerged. Um, you know, obviously TikTok was exploding before that, but it absolutely blew up with Trump talking about banning it. Um, I know the downloads of that went through the roof and with everybody kind of shut down at home, people discovered it. You know, the joke is that if you're over 30, you're not allowed to be on TikTok, but obviously that got proven false based on their numbers. Instagram responded back with reels and things like that. You know, Twitter has even launched certain things. Obviously Clubhouse is the latest kind of emergence to get a little bit of fire with all those social media communities and different avenues of telling that story. What are some of the trends or things that you saw from a marketing standpoint in this past year that you've really seen as being beneficial to restaurants? Yeah. Uh, I think the biggest thing is targeted ads. Uh, everybody thinks that I'm going to post this picture and I'm, you know, all these people are going to see it. And it's not the case that you can do that because we're working against algorithms that are constantly squeezing us uh, for ad dollars. And so investing budget is the biggest thing. Um, and then I think also the second tip is every time a platform launches a new feature, figure out how to use it as quickly as possible because the most of the reason these social media companies nowadays are launching new features is to compete with each other. Mm -hmm. And they want to, they want to um, have everybody adapt those things as quickly as possible. So they juice up their algorithms for that new feature. That's why when when Reels started, everybody's content was just going so viral. Yeah, you know, and uh, that's that's really it. Follow the trends, and um, if you're using TikTok, follow trending songs if you can. The problem with it is that if you have commercial accounts, 
you can't utilize commercial songs. Yeah, which is its own kind of separate bag of worms. What are some of the storylines you've seen from the past year? And they, it doesn't have to be referencing to your clients, but things that have been kind of like, oh shit, this actually worked. Because I think everybody was so worried about just staying open that nobody thought that they would actually garner continued success or more exposure or expanded business from the past kind of, you know, especially the past probably nine months, give or take. Obviously that first shutdown was a shit show, but the past nine months kind of after that with some soft reopenings, limited capacities, things like that. What were some of the success stories that you've seen that really were inspiring you to kind of keep going and, and stay involved in what you're doing? Okay. So I will tell you that the, the, the two biggest ones that come to mind off the bat are uh, Blake at craft house with the outdoor patio because they built that he, he and Matt and then some other construction people, but a lot of Matt's work, they built that with themselves. And that's just like, fucking crazy to me to be honest yeah and if anybody wants more details on that definitely check out blake's episode because we do dive into that back patio quite a bit and if you go to on instagram at eat at craft house we just posted a time-lapse video of them taking down the tent and reopening up the it's i, I call it the austin vibe yeah it's, it really is it is very awesome i know you almost expect a taco truck to be outside of the back of the restaurant Ooh. just to really fill out the entire experience blake get on that man. um that that made the new york times which is insane like what you know, and which is also excellent for Blake because he cooked in New York. And so to have that paper write about his restaurant, it was really amazing. And then I think Omakase by Gino, man, um, he had it the hardest because yeah. he has 10 seats and he was so ingenious. Like when it happened, he went out, bought a bunch of plexiglass and completely created a socially distanced Omakase. You can slide the sliders so that you can fit different parties of people and keep them distanced. It's amazing. And he built it all himself. And then he had to close completely. Takeout is the thing that saved him. And he was creating these really ornate, beautiful, um, like bento omakase boxes. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. I'm gonna. I'm not going to get the name either. I could take the time to look it up, but I don't want to have to mispronounce it or get it wrong. But yeah, for anybody who's not familiar with OMG, that's a personal favorite of mine. Definitely definitely go give that one a look-see because what he was doing during the pandemic and it was all just him doing it because it's just him yes period doing everything is immense do you look at the work ethic like that of your clients and does that put more of a fire in your belly to keep working hard uh, when you're like oh shit they just built a whole back patio maybe i can't work for another hour today i do a hundred percent i uh you know two, two things one when i worked at the register when you're a reporter like things are happening all the time you don't really stop and when I started at the register, I graduated college on Friday. My ceremony was Saturday and I started at the register on Monday. So my break from school to my career was one day. And when I left the register, I worked at um, a union doing social organizing and politics don't stop either, like ever. And so this- Yeah, I, I think we're all very aware of that yeah. <laughs> after the past couple of years. This is the pace that I am used to. And- uh, I think that watching everybody this year has made me, it's done two things. I have enough clients and I don't mean that like in the way that like, you know, like I don't want to overcompromise my quality of work yeah. and I don't want to overcompromise my quality of life. And so like this moment in time where I'm at right now, I, I, I spoke about this, when I like had my sixth anniversary in March, I like almost, I almost quit last year and 
I think it was just because of the pandemic and feeling sometimes, you know, when you're a creative person, you go through these long periods of feeling under creative and overwhelmed. And especially when you work in social media, it's so hard because these platforms change all the time. Everybody, if, uh, sorry, my cat just jumped on the table. If you need to move her, feel free. No, it's okay. This is going to be fun. If there's any sound effects in the background, that's what it's going to be from. Okay. So no, we're going to let it ride. All right, cool. She's chill. Um, <laughs> shout out to sparkles. Uh, you know, that's watching them overcome these things. And then also being in this ever evolving social media. Those are the two things that inspire me is because you always have a goal to chase a new goal, a, a new skill to learn a way to get better. And so I'm never bored. And then watching just everybody, they're so badass. Everybody I work with is badass. When I started this company, I wrote a list down of the people I wanted to work with when I, I moved to the Bay area to start this. And then I ended up back in Orange County because I was calling for recommendations from people and they were like, oh, we want to hire you. So I was living in the Bay Area and driving down here every three weeks to work with Chicken Charlie, the guy who deep fries at the fair. <laughs> and my other my first client was Pizza Evino at Rancho Santa Margarita. And um, it's because I had written about them at the register and they knew me. And to now be at this point, I mean, like. I did what I wanted to do and now I just want to sustain it and honor the people that have trusted me to tell their stories in the best possible way. So what does the future look like for you? You know, as we kind of talked about, it feels like we're at the tail end of this thing at the, the lights at the other side of the tunnel. What are some of the things that you're looking forward to anticipating, you know, for every kind of restaurant that closed and, and we lost some biggies places have not stopped opening. I mean, it's, it's a relentless industry, you know, for better or for worse. What are some of the things that you're either kind of looking forward to or anticipating getting back to? Okay. So the biggest thing that, uh, I'm anticipating or seeing happening is the return of events Yeah, is just, you know, like I think Pacific food and wine is coming back, uh, October, mm -hmm. which is amazing. And then, you know, It'll, it'll be really good seeing all the events coming back. And um, that's the thing I'm most excited for. Um, everything else is business as usual. I, honestly, like restaurants to me are cyclical. You base your stuff around holidays. You base your stuff around new offerings, uh, you know, seasonality. Yeah. Th those things aren't going to change. And I think people are ready to get out. There's been a lot of news stories recently, um, and I think rightfully so, as far as my beliefs are, that you know, opinion articles coming out saying the customer is not always right. You know, customers need to basically be more accommodating. Restaurants need to stand up for themselves. Um, you know, if anybody's listened to the past, I don't know, 49 episodes of this podcast, they know my stance on things like Yelp. There, there are some necessary evils that go with this industry. With what you do in social media management and content management and curation, you are by default dealing with somebody's customer base. You're dealing with somebody's fan base and their digital community. Managing it and managing negative responses and things like that, even if you're not doing, you know, quote unquote, damage control, what's that aspect like? And what have you seen from the dining public as far as facing, you know, your clients and, and handling those aspects, positive or negative? No restaurant client, customer, guest is ever more upset than anybody I've ever encountered doing social media and politics. So that balance for me makes it easier when people are like going off the rails uh, and they're upset. But also I, I, I believe in two things, right? I believe in excellent guest service. And so a lot of times when people are upset, they just want to be heard and addressed. 
And I feel like a lot of the time, if you can just hear hear them out, apologize and address them, usually it's good. Sometimes you have to mute people and just move on. You're not going to make everybody happy. And that's kind of how I look at it. But for the most part, I like, I just like talking to the people online and communicating with them as I would with my other friends, you know, and that's the best part is building community is more important to me than the upset part because most people aren't upset, but the happy people don't make noise. You have to bring it out of them. Yeah, that's true. So if you're listening to this and you like a restaurant, please leave positive ratings, reviews, and give them verbal shout outs because it only helps. Dude, legit. Actually, if everybody could listening to this could pick their three favorite restaurants and go leave a five-star Yelp review for them right now, please. Like literally. Yeah, we'll wait. Hit pause. We'll be here. Yeah. It, It would really make a big impact because that's something you learn in the union movement, right? Like 10% 10% of the people make 90% of the noise. And if you live in your own echo chamber, you're going to believe the hype. And like the only hype you should be believing is your own. And that's really the truth. Like your one star Yelp reviews that you read are just so spot on because the thing that always makes me the most confused is like, bro, why couldn't you just say that in the restaurant? Why did you feel the need to get so passively aggressively angry? Like anger, eat your meal and then leave, and then leave this one-star review. That doesn't make any sense. You could literally just ask and say, hey, yo, this is not good. Can we fix it? I would love to, to have a solution. We're in the hospitality industry. We want to be hospitable. We don't want to fuck you over and then get a one-star for it. Like, come on, man. I like the daydream of somebody just sitting there angrily chowing down on like, a, like just, <laughs> just, just like grumbling under their breath like an angry dog, but it still wants to eat its food. Just eating their seafood fettuccine. Just oh God. angry. I should mention for anybody listening that doesn't kind of know what um, he's referring to here. When I would see one-star Yelp reviews, I would respond um, without the approval and endorsement of <laughs> restaurants very viscerally towards people on social media. And the feedback and reaction was good enough that depending on when you're listening to this, the show may already be live, but I'll be launching a weekly video show called Thoughts and Prayers and Stars where it's responding to those one-star Yelp reviews in the form of a eulogy for the person that left it. So anyway, there, that, that may be out depending on when you're listening to this, but just for reference, that's what he's referring to. I can't wait. It's, it's going to be so <laughs> brutally savage. I cannot wait. Yeah, well, until the first restaurant responds back, being like, "Hey, we actually don't want that, but it's fine. There's more to come." You're. I, I want to. <laughs> well, it's time for a little commercial. Yeah. I don't know about you, but 2020 had me relooking at how I live and the space that I live in. Spending so much time at home really had me reevaluating how certain things worked and didn't in my living space. One of the main things, as an avid home cook and an obvious supporter of restaurants, was gardening. Anybody who enjoys food at all will be able to tell you that something you've grown yourself will taste infinitely better than anything you can buy at a store. That's where Ashley Irene of Heirloom Potager comes in. Heirloom Potager designs, installs, and maintains seasonal culinary gardens for chefs and foodies in Orange County. They provide organic gardening methods and bespoke build-outs used to preserve the heirloom varietals that they'll provide for seeds. An approachable and exciting endeavor, no matter if you're a seasoned restaurateur or a stay-at-home chef. Owner Ashley Irene's experience, expertise, and enthusiasm is only matched by her professionalism. For more information on how you can set up a consultation to get your own culinary garden space set up, go to heirloompotager.com. That's heirloom, H-E-I-R-L-O-O-M, potager, P-O-T, 
A-G-E-R.com today. Once again, that's heirloompotager.com. The last year provided so many challenges for restaurant owners. Now that they're finally getting a chance to open their doors again to the public, it can only be an exciting thing. However, some of those challenges still remain, like hiring new staff after having to let go of them for almost an entire year. That's where Hire Lilo comes in. Custom built from the ground up by hospitality professionals, Hire Lilo is your destination for restaurant hiring. Applicants can create resumes on the site, set up meetings, use the virtual messaging system to communicate with potential hirees, and more. Restaurants also have a multitude of options to choose from, including selecting mandatory shifts for specific positions and more. The website is easy to use and is a perfect build-out for the hospitality industry. None of the other fancy stuff are trying to compete with every other industry on the planet for new hires. As I said, it is hospitality-specific, making it your destination for hiring. Using the promo code STAYSTRONG, all one word, you can create a free job posting today and start to fill those hiring voids. Hire Lilo provides on-site help. They'll sit down and make sure that your restaurant is set up and properly ready to go and that you can utilize all the features Hire Lilo offers. To learn more or to create an account and get job posting now, go to HireLilo.com. That's H-I-R-E-L-I-L-O.com. Once again, that's HireLilo.com. I want to I <laughs> to use your word in this goddamn word of 2020. I want to pivot. Yes. You're, you're a huge music guy. Yes. Huge music guy. Now with events coming back, obviously your love looking around your apartment and some of the amazing <laughs> artwork you have is Coachella. Yes. That's obviously a whole separate animal that's, you know, being delayed and things like that. And I know you're dying to get back to that. But as far as music coming back in general, people are starting to have performers again, at least at restaurants on patios, people are starting to bring back musical performers. People like Trevor at the tracks is pretty much never kind of stopped because they have the space for it. We have reggae night on Mondays at the Peninsula Lounge. Their guy, Errol Bonick, is killing it. And that's what I want to talk about. What is it like for you as somebody who is such a fan of music and it's so close to your heart to see musicians coming back? Because Dude. Again, this is a hospitality podcast. We talk about restaurants, bars, but the music industry was decimated as far as live performances go. What's it like being able to see that come back? We were on, so the Peninsula Lounge is where I've been the first few times I've heard live music in like a year. And there was a dude playing a piano and I'm just like, all right, cool. Elton John's in the house. Like it felt so <laughs> big to me. And then they have, they're doing this thing on their yacht. Uh, it's called um, the beats and boats party. And this is DJ Ravi drums. Um, this guy's pretty incredible. Actually. He, he was like a drummer for Howie Mandel's TV show. And he did some stuff with the Oscars when some dog millionaire uh, was on and he has this giant drum rig that he built all around him. And so he spins like he DJs tunes and then he drums live along to them. And they put this whole rig on the back of the yacht and they, they were a party and other people in the Harbor were like latching their boats to the yacht and jumping on. And like, it was, you make it sound like Newport beach meets Mad Max. It was pretty lit, man. That's exactly. <laughs> and Dennis Rodman was somehow also on the boat. <laughs> yeah. For people that are listening that are not in the area, cause I know that there, there's some people in Florida, New York and et cetera, that listen to this. Um, Dennis Rodman is the unofficial icon of Newport Beach. He's their mascot. He's you know, the mascot. If you go to Yale, there's bulldogs that run around everywhere. Dennis Rodman <laughs> is the bulldog to Newport Beach. Yeah, and he's he uh, he, he ended up there, and um, it was great, man. That that to me felt like Coachella on a boat. It was the happiest I've been listening to live music for a while. 
it was great. You seem in very good spirits. I mean, I think a lot of people are positive because like we've said, this feels like we're kind of coming to an end of it, but you definitely, again, when we did the first podcast and for people that want to do that, I think it was the fifth episode back when I was still trying to do this as a live show on Twitch and it was just bananas, technically overwhelming for me. You know, you were down, you were despondent. I think rightfully so as most people are. So it's, it's great to kind of see you come a little bit more full circle and be happy for Thank the you. most part. And I do want to be fully transparent about this. You know, we've mentioned some of your clients, some of your clients have been on the show in no way. Was there ever any kind of like transactional reason to have you on the show or your clients? It was purely, I was looking for guests and you were a friend and you were helping me out. And the same reason why I wanted to kind of let you come on and tell your story. So just for clarity, I want to let everybody know that there's no business reason I to have you on that. the show. This is just pure friendship. Hey man, I, I look at you as like, Honestly, I look at you as one of the best food journalists in Orange County. You are doing, one, your medium is different than everybody else's. And I have a lot of respect for that because I, when we started this a year ago, you were like, yeah, I got this. I call it the Kanye West box, his little roadcaster pro. He's like, yeah, I got this thing. I run my podcast through it. I'm figuring it out. And now look at you. You're 50 episodes in. Like, that's dope. And you did that in a year, man. That's a lot of, like consistency in anything is the most important part of building a skill. And to see that you've gone this far, like I respect you as a journalist. That's why I think one time I told you something that was going to happen and I'm like off the record and you're like, bro, you have to tell me off the record. I'm not like a journalist or something. I'm like, no, you are a journalist. <laughs> and like, you know, maybe you don't see it that way, but I really do. And so, uh, yeah, no transactional, nothing, but I, I, I pitch you the clients that, that are having things going on and I appreciate when you accept it. Well, I appreciate that, man. Um, your home life. I got to ask about this. You, yeah. you, lovely woman in your life. We're yeah. sitting obviously here in your apartment with the cats kind of hanging out. What's it like balancing the home life with what you do? Because you mentioned the long hours, you mentioned that, you know, oftentimes you're off at meetings, things like that. Your, your yacht party. I'm so sorry for your struggles with that. <laughs> Just sounds terribly stressful. You know, we should mention that yesterday was 420. Um, for those of you that partake in that holiday, unofficial holiday, and you spent it with Steve the, Urkel. Yeah, Jaleel the, White was <laughs> launching his cannabis brand at Peninsula, man. It's quickly establishing itself as a pretty cool spot. How is it like balancing the home life with that too? Honestly, Where you're like, hey, yeah, I got to go to Jaleel White's pot party. You know, I'll be back a little <laughs> bit later. I feel really bad. <laughs> uh, like, you know, my wife, Nadia, uh, I met her. She was 21 and I was 23. And um, we've been married for like 12 years this year, I think. And... Um, don't get that wrong. It's on the record like, now. She is like the most forgiving and understanding person with me, but I also feel bad because I've been so focused on work for so long that like we want to have a family. We want to do those things. And I think like now is that time we're getting to that point, you know? And so um, I've told her for so long, let me just figure out the next step. Let me just figure out the next step. And I finally feel like I don't need to figure out the next step anymore. I, I got to what I want to do. And so hopefully that the real answer is I have a terrible work-life balance and she suffers for that because you can't build something like I've built without sacrificing time and energy for, for others. And my cat is like all over you. She loves you. No, this is fine. Again, if any sound effects go off, it's the tail. It's not me. So just guard your ears. We, actually, we call her tail fourth cat because it has a mind <laughs> of its own. It's, uh, I think that if there's any one thing, so you, I'm actually doing like personal coaching 
Um, on Thursday mornings, I, I meet with someone on Zoom and they're helping me to rebuild my work-life balance. And I think everybody should have mentors and everybody should have coaches and everybody should look at what their flaws are and figure out how they can readjust to the benefit of the people who support them. And like, I'm glad I didn't give you the bullshit answer of like, everything's cool because it's not like everything's bad. It's just everything is good. I just need to learn how to respect her energy with my time more. Mm -hmm. And I see this with all the chefs that I work with, with all of the people who are dedicated to this industry. It's really hard because it doesn't stop. People don't stop eating. You know, social media doesn't stop. There's always people complaining online. There's always people, uh, you know, leaving comments that you need to respond to. It just, and the, you know, the phone is built to take your attention all the time. So finding that balance is difficult, but necessary. And that's actually my 2021 goal is because 2020 was survive. Now 2021 is thrive. I've thought for a while since I got into this, um, you know, kind of whatever this profession is, that it's always been a little unfair and and it's not right to blame Food Network, but I blame Food Network of asking every chef to suddenly not just be a chef, but be media trained, be camera ready, be audio ready, be PR ready with answers and things like that. How do you balance working with chefs and because you get your, your clients very involved. I mean, you know, I've seen the videos you do with Amy and, and Blake and kind of everybody else that you work with. What's that process like for you to take somebody who's trained to, you know, work the hotline and expedite and all of a sudden now you got to get them in front of a camera and like internet and, TV stars. And, out exactly. Of yeah. Uh, okay. So the biggest confession, this is actually, this is like the Guy Fieri. I don't know if you know this, but like Guy Fieri doesn't like eggs. Apparently when you came to orange County, they told me that, and uh, it's kind of the guy Fury doesn't like eggs things. I hate being on videos, but I force everybody else to be on them. <laughs> and I, that's why my social media is so bad is because it's like journalist brain or something. I don't want to be the story, but I force everybody else to do it. And like when I worked with Zove, I used to walk into the kitchen sometimes and she'd be like, oh great, the paparazzi is here. <laughs> she used to say that to me and it made me laugh so hard, but it's, it's a skill. To anybody listening to this there's and they're scared of like breaking that barrier i do it much more now and i'm more comfortable but it's a skill and you have to practice it and not be afraid of just talking to the camera like there are people doing the stupidest shit on the planet and filming it and putting it on the internet to preserve for history your food video is not going to break the internet right hopefully or at least in a good way so that's the thing is don't, don't have a barrier to it and then just keep going. Like Amy, Blake, Lewis, they're all so good, but they didn't start that way. They started nervous and awkward. And then over time you just kind of develop a style and lean into it. You know, I know that you deal mostly with social as we talked about and the content kind of creation and curation, but there is a PR aspect to what you do and, and media events are starting to come back, you know, where you're inviting members of you know various media platforms and mediums. I want to talk to you about influencers because, you know, I've had people on the show that have talked about the value that they still bring and the kind of necessary evil that they are. But there's been kind of a big push of realizing legitimacy between influencer and somebody who has influence. And, you know, the people that it's very clear if they bought followers or, you know, what's their interaction rate actually like and how much ROI are you getting from basically kind of 
feeding this person for two posts. What are your thoughts on influencers as we reopen, as we get back to media events and as things start to kick back up? Yeah. Okay. Uh, I'm going to break this down into a few different points. Number one, your best influencers are the guests you already have. Focus on that, right? Like excellent customer service is the best thing you can do to create micro influencers because the truth of the matter is like, okay, we're going to bring in these people from LA. They're going to eat at the restaurant and they have these great Instagram accounts, right? Most of those people that see that stuff, they're not actually going to come to your restaurant. How many times do you eat somewhere more than five to seven miles outside of the radius of your own home? Right. And so unless you're like a destination eater and that's like your whole thing, it's not that I don't find value in influencers because I do, but I find value in one, the right influencers. I think that it's important to look at the content they're creating and see, does it match with you? I have, there's so many times where people they'll message and they'll be like, like I just had someone message and they're like, hi, I love your page. Or, I love, I love your food. I'm a big fan. I live in city that's 45 miles away. And I think that I would love to come in if you could set, set some dishes up for me and I'll post about it. And then I go to their page. They have 200 followers. All the pictures are food not remotely related to the type of food that the restaurant serves. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, what the, f- what the f- are you even emailing me for? Like, I, go away. You know, like there's that. Or I think there's an importance in finding the right people either who fit the aesthetic of the restaurant or the style of the restaurant and then collaborate with them. What can we do to make this work for both of us? The other thing is people are so people are so obsessed with posts and followers, but the true value is reach, right? Like especially now once Instagram has changed their algorithms, you do see who bought all their followers Mm -hmm. and who didn't. And it's super easy to just go look because everybody with a bloated follower number and a very low interaction rate on their posts, it's like, cool. You rely on the whole time, right? 45,000 followers, but 200 likes. Right. And honestly, let's, let's be honest. How many food Instagram influencers out there do you see that with most of them? And so like, if that's the case, the Instagram algorithm for those people are going to be the strongest in stories and in reels because it's not going to limit your, it will limit your feed reach. But if you have a reel or a story, it goes to a larger percentage of those people. So if you are going to bring an influencer in as a restaurant owner, that's the content you should be saying. I want, I would love reels created, or I would love to be on your stories because you're reaching more people. And ask, what, where do your followers come from? You know, what is the value? And then figure out for you, what is, what is the worthy exchange? For restaurants that are much smaller, they don't have a budget for PR, social media consulting, things like that. Maybe they want to build towards that. Obviously, everybody wants to make a living and pay their bills. And if there's kind of gravy on top to continue to grow the business, people will, I think, rightfully so pursue that. What would be your biggest piece of advice to some of these smaller spots that are, you know, still getting their feet wet, still surviving that they can do kind of on their own to continue to grow and and stay in business? Two things. Google the rule of thirds and learn how to compose a proper photograph. Two, post consistently. Three, look up a tutorial on how to run Facebook ads through Instagram and start running them and put 
10 to 20 bucks on each ad, you know, or more if you can. Yeah. The, the thing is the audience is there. You just have to go out and find it. And social media is still the cheapest way and the best way for you to directly reach customers. You could do it yourself. You just have to do it. Yeah. And stay with it and actually be consistent. Yes. That's good advice, man. Well, yeah, that is going to start to wrap up this episode. Um, obviously before we do the traditional sign off of you giving your social and everything else, um, this is the 49th episode. We are actually going to sit down right now and record episode 50, you and I, but we're going to be flipping it a little bit. You coming from a journalism background are actually going to take the reins post kind of show introduction and stuff like that. So we'll go ahead and do the standard sign off, but everybody do stick around next week, depending on when you're listening to this, maybe it's already out. You can just go back to back. Definitely listen to episode 50, where we're going to celebrate 50 episodes of the Best Seats podcast by kind of flipping the script. And I'm going to let this man with a journalism background take the reins and uh, we'll flip it to give a little bit of background on the best seats. But before we finish and jump to the next episode, let's wrap episode 49. If people want to find you, reach out to you for questions, things like that, social media, website, where can folks do that? Yeah. Um, Instagram and Instagram DMs is probably the best. It's at knife and spork, P-R-K-N-I-F-E-A-N-D-S-P-O-R-K-P-R. Um, that's pretty much the best way to get a hold of me. And yeah, f- please go to my clients, follow all their restaurants, eat their food. Definitely. And, and Yelp. Nice Yelps. Nice Yelps. Nice and Yelps. Wait, one thing real quick. Thank you, man. Happy to do it, brother. Much appreciated. Awesome. All right. I will see you in a couple seconds. Everybody else, thank you. And we'll see you soon. Peace. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you to Niaz Pirani of Knife and Sport PR for taking the time to sit down. Full disclosure, he is going to be the guest for episode 50 as well. However, episode 50 is going to be very, very different. So please keep your eyes and ears peeled for when that one is going to drop. Um, He's got such a wide array of awesome people doing awesome things. Please go out and support his clients. If you are working hospitality and you're considering any type of PR stuff, there's a lot of fantastic people out there. A lot of them are good friends. Niaz will clearly take care of you if you're going down that route. So please consider him for any and all of your media needs. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Thank you, as always, to the sponsors for this show, HireLilo.com and HeirloomPotage.com. Thank you to everybody who supports at Patreon.com slash The Best Seats. Be sure to check out TheBestSeats.com for more content just like this. Hope you stay safe out there. As always, live well and often. Enjoy yourself, whatever you're doing. The weather is beautiful. Restaurants are opening. Things are lifting as far as mandates are concerned. But as always, please be respectful and show some grace during these times. And I'll see you soon. Take care. The Best Seats Podcast is an original production of The Best Seats. It is written, edited, produced, and owned by myself, Rocky McCarthy, founder and owner of The Best Seats. It is recorded in Aliso Viejo, California. It is subsidized through generous donations from patreon.com slash the best seats. The following are names that have subscribed at the highest tier, aka norm status, and thus allow me to produce the show each and every episode. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. Here are the supporters. Alexander Cook, Cheryl McCarthy, Elliot, George Pavlov, Serena Warino, Pizza Guy 92. Thank you for your support.